You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. everybody and welcome back to hillbilly horror stories this is episode 97 i'm jerry and i'm joined by my beautiful wife tracy hello everybody hope you had a great weekend she's sitting here looking beautifully clad in her pleasing terrors t-shirt oh yeah which is actually my pleasing terrors t-shirt but he shares so he's very nice so or it's i just pleasing, take it and pleasing shares <laughs> you pleasing shares <laughs> or i just take it and he just gets over it <laughs> that's usually what happens <laughs> Which is why I can't find half of my shirts now. That's a true story. All right. We want to thank everybody for coming back and listening to us. We got another cool story tonight. It's another Warren case. Mm -hmm. So, got to love those. Let's uh, first thanks to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you, guys. Amen, brother. Thank you. We love you guys. And when I say guys, I mean guys and girls. Guys and girls. You go, girls. You're more important, too. So, Obviously... um, it's one of those weeks to where <sighs> something that uh, we've been trying to use to to help as much as we can has reared its ugly head this week. Uh, we want to first uh, give out the suicide prevention hotline here in the United States, 1-800-273-8255. Uh, I know that's going to hit home probably more this week uh, than most weeks with the uh, suicide of uh, Kate, Kate Spade, Spade and uh, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I'll be honest with you, both of those were very big uh, because there are celebrities. And unfortunately, celebrities always get more publicity than the average person that yeah. does this. Doesn't mean that it hurts the loved ones uh, around any less. But if there's any positive to it, it does draw more attention to it. I did notice especially after uh, the announcement of Anthony's uh, suicide, there were lots of people posting suicide prevention yeah, hotlines. Yeah, I mean, I and saw that too. That was a really great. So hopefully the um, celebrity part of this will prevent a lot more people from actually um, committing suicide just because of the fact that this number got out to a lot more people than normal and hopefully – that was um, something that will make some of those people that might have been considering it to reach out and get help. Yeah, that's a very, very sad week. And, 
you know, just like everybody says, it goes to prove you never know what's going on through somebody's mind. Don't matter how rich you are, how famous everybody knows who you are. It just don't even matter because deep inside, we're all the same. The old saying is money can't buy happiness. And, you know, you'll hear people laugh and joke, well, I could buy a Ferrari and a Ferrari makes me happy. And, and I get that. And that's funny. But I think what the saying, people really miss what that saying is. This, the saying is really talking about that if for some reason in your mental state, you aren't happy, you can't change that with money. In your head, if you are just not happy and you don't want to be here, Money's not going to fix that problem. No, of course not. And what can fix the problem, though, is in some cases medication, in some cases just talking to somebody, uh, in some cases somebody just reaching out to you and letting you know you're, that you're loved. And that's what we're hoping to be able to do each and every week. And we get responses every single week mm -hmm. since we started doing this from people uh, telling us the nicest things. And some people shock us. We had a, a listener tell us earlier this week that they'd even written out their suicide note on Facebook and they were thanking us, not that we saved their life or anything like that, but they were thanking us that they had listened to a show back, you know, maybe last November, or December, heard us talking about um, suicide and, that was in back of their head, and they did say that that did play a part in them not um, finishing what they started. And when you hear something like that, then that lets you know that what we do here, we have a platform to reach people. It wasn't the intention of starting the show, but as this show has went on and on and on over the course of almost two years now, we've realized that we can make a difference in people's lives uh, by more than just entertaining them. And if we do that... Um, then we feel like that that was maybe the reason we were meant to do this show. Well said. So that's what we're going to continue to do. And we're sorry uh, to those of you listening that think that we take too long to get into the stories because we've heard some of that. But the reality of it is that's what this show is now. This show is ghost stories and this show is hauntings and this show is unexplained stuff. But it's also about helping people. And if we can take a few extra minutes to get into the story to be able to help people, then that's what we're going to do. Amen. With that being said, let's take longer to get into the story <laughs> by <laughs> thanking our uh, Patreon members, Becky Cox. Thank you so much. Thank you, Becky. Sharon Hoffman. Sharon was actually already a Patreon member, but she did something we didn't know you could do. She actually upped her pledge to a dollar amount that we don't even offer. Yeah. Thank you so much, honey. That is really Really awesome of you to do, and we appreciate you guys so much. When you go to Patreon, and we don't we don't really talk about this a whole lot, but when you go to Patreon, we have like four tiers. There's a dollar tier, a three dollar tier, a five dollar, and a ten dollar. And each one you get a few more uh, things involved with it. Somehow or another, I don't know if this is recent or if it's something that was always there and I just didn't know about it. But Sharon was able to change her pledge from $10 to $20 a month, mm -hmm. which we don't even have a $20 pledge. So that's awesome. She just picked a number. So we had a couple of listeners do that um, a few weeks back. They actually made some pledges that was higher than a $10 mm -hmm. amount. So I went in and then kind of looked, um, and I saw that you can put in your own dollar amount. Oh, so good. it surprised us. and It was a very nice surprise, and we appreciate you guys so much. Yeah, we can't imagine that what we're doing is worth you know, $15, $20, $30 a month to somebody. But, you know, 
if you guys think that, then then thank you so much because that's an honor to us to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, that's the ultimate compliment to us it to be sure able to is. say. I get your show for free, but I'm willing to throw a couple of bucks your way for something else. Mm-hmm. And that's we very do kind. Appreciate very it. kind of you guys. So uh, let's get on to the iTunes reviews real quick. We had a bunch of them. Yay! Uh, Sharon Nisi. Bailey, I'm sure I'm going to butcher your last name, and I should have already asked you how to do this, but it, I think it's Bailey Oxier is what I'm going to go with. I don't know if you pronounce it the French way or not, so we're going to go with that. Joel Pena, 98, Cynical Neighbor, <laughs> Crazy Pete from the Street. No, you got to say, Crazy Pete from the Street. <laughs> this one looks like Meekak, 2011. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this one's C. Franklin, 8, mm-hmm. M. Finn, Leslie uh, Mangeli. I think I'm pronouncing that right. We've talked to Leslie before. We actually, uh, she's got a very sick son, and uh, we posted his... Uh, GoFundMe page at one point in yeah. time. Leslie's a sweetheart and her son's a sweetheart. Still prayers for him. Cyber guys F. You guys really pulled out the stops this time. It was awesome. And I would like to say um, thank you to Paul. He sent me a very, very nice uh, message on Facebook and said some really, really nice things. And, Paul, I love you, and I really appreciate that because, you know, I've said it a hundred times. Those things that you say to us, that that's what touches our heart. And that's what makes us happy to do what we do. And it just, it seriously puts a big smile on all our faces all the time. And I just, like I say, I can't thank you all enough. I know I repeat myself every weekend. Um, I just don't know what else to say, but I appreciate you all taking the time out to write your reviews and, um, you know, just let us know if we need improving on stuff and, or that what you love. And we appreciate it more than you can ever know. But thank you again, Paul. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's funny because Tracy, if you look at the reviews, about every other review mentions Tracy specifically. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to messages, Mm -hmm. Tracy gets a very few messages sent to her, very Mm -hmm. few emails. Mm -hmm. I probably get six or seven uh, emails at least a week. And then I can't even count how many messages that I get on Twitter, on Instagram, and um, uh, just regular Facebook Messenger. And Tracy gets... I mean, I've got a couple in the last couple weeks. And to be honest with you guys, if I... I mean, I look at my email, but I I truly stumbled upon those that I got. And those mean a lot to me as well. I hope I responded back to you. If I didn't, I'm going to. Um, But again, we appreciate that. We love hearing from you all. And I wish I could just, like, give you... I'm going to give you all a big virtual hug. And I just love you guys so much. Okay, a couple of uh, quick little bonuses for you guys this week. We teamed up with the guys from um, Realm of the Supernatural, the former, uh, what was the name of their show now? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I love to mess with them guys so much. But it was the guys from Don't Break the Oath, Lee and Andy. And um, you guys are really into cryptids out there because we hear it all the time. When are you going to do a show about Bigfoot? When are you going to do a show about this? When are you going to do a show? And we've discussed several times in this show. I'm not huge into cryptids. We are going to do some stuff and we got some things coming. But Lee and Andy are really big into it, mm-hmm. uh, especially Dogman, because like every one of their shows has something to do. It don't matter what they're talking about. Dogman's making it into that <laughs> somewhere. I mean, they'd be talking about Jack the Ripper and their mm-hmm. assumption would be Jack the Ripper was a dog man. Yeah. So <laughs> 
But anyway, they've agreed for um, uh, to do like a little five minute deal where they they recorded something and sent it to us, mm-hmm. and we're going to put it on. But the uh, cryptid that they're going to talk about tonight is called a tokolosh. And uh, trust me, this one is definitely worth listening to. I have never heard of this one, and I'm almost positive they made this up. But they say they didn't. <laughs> they say they didn't, but it's actually it's pretty cool. This thing, this thing likes. It's got like a toe fetish, and Ooh. it. I, I, I'm not kidding you. You got to hear this thing. It supposedly is one of those deals where it sneaks under the covers, has its way with your woman, and then she, it ruins your marriage because it's got such a big, you know, toe personality. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but there's way more to it than that. But, yeah, you yeah, got it. You I gotta think I'm going to listen thing. to this. And then also, uh, we've got a listener out there that's uh, – we've got a, a bunch of listeners who are very creative out there. Uh, but this this gentleman's an actual author. Mm-hmm. Two, two gentlemen, actually. It's Anthony Ward and S.J.D. Connell. And they got a, a book that's out on Amazon right now called Devil Eye. And I got a chance to sit down with them for 30 or 40 minutes. We talked a little bit about the book. But Anthony lived in Costa Rica for a while. So he's got some really cool Costa Rican ghost stories oh, wow. that he shares with us. And then um, uh, S.J.D. Connell has some cool stories that he shares with us as well. But his is from... Like New York, uh-huh. uh, Bronx area. That's right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's really cool. So we got a bunch of cool stuff for you tonight. It's going to be a fun show. Shall we proceed? We shall. We shall move on. Okay. So a few weeks ago, we did the Devil Made Me Do It trial story. Yes. And during my research um, on that subject, we I ran across a list of a bunch of um, worn case files. Mm-hmm. And one of them that I ran across was... The Smurl family. And to be honest with you, I had forgotten this. Mm-hmm. Now, this was big. Yeah. back. I mean, I'm talking back when I graduated high school, which was approximately 74 years ago. Um, <laughs> but back when I graduated high school in 1986, this was big news. It actually was a new story. Yeah. And um, I decided, you know, we're going to do this, but I didn't want to do it back-to-back weeks because we had just done a Warren story, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I can only handle so much the Warrens in in a two-week period. So we went on to something else, but I wanted to get right back to it. And if this is – if everything that's said about this case is true, this is one of the scariest things that could ever happen to anybody. Ooh. So now, obviously, I say if it's true because anytime the Warrens – Right. You are just involved don't, in you're something, not sure. I tend to be a little more skeptical mm-hmm. that things might have been embellished, so to speak. So, I know that this can be said about any paranormal case, but there's just something about their involvement that just, I don't know, it makes things less credible to me. Now, I'm not, I don't, I'm speaking for myself only, and that doesn't mean that other right. people don't see them as, you know, yeah, of course. gifts to the paranormal community. Yeah. I just don't. So over the last two years, I've researched the Warrens a lot. And, you know, I just, it seems like with every show that we do this based on one of their cases, I just have less and less respect for anything that's got their name attached to it. So I'm sorry if I offend any Warrens fans out there, but that's just my thought. Doesn't mean I'm not going to give the story. 100%. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to give it the, the full unbiased opinion. So with that being said, uh, I don't want to take anything away from the Smurl family and what they may have went through. So I know Karen Smurl, which is the youngest twin daughter, is actually doing a bunch of interviews and stuff like this, Mm -hmm. talking about her um, time 
with this haunting, much like Andrea Perrin was oh. doing about the time with hers. And uh, we're going to try to get her on the show at some point oh, in time. Oh, that would which be cool. Would, which yeah. I think would be very awesome. All right. So let's jump right into what the story deals with. Jack and Janet Smurl were living in, and I'm going to butcher this because uh, I've seen this. Uh, some Pennsylvania people are going to get mad at me, but I've seen this name pronounced a thousand ways. It's like in Louisville, how it's Louisville and Louisville. And, well, same thing here. Uh, they were living in Wilkes-Barre. Pennsylvania. I was told this is pronounced Wilkes-Barre, 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 and Wilkes-Barre. And locals call it all different ones. So okay. I just want to make sure that we don't offend anybody. But So we're going to say Wilkes-Barre. But they lived there with their two daughters, Dawn, who was about five years old at the time, and Heather, who was just a little bit younger. Hurricane Agnes hit, and the East Coast was um, severely damaged, especially where they lived. There was a bunch of uh, uh, flooding, and they lost everything that they had in this flood. Oh, man. Jack's parents, John and Mary, they bought a duplex in West Pittson, Pennsylvania. It was 328 Chase Street, to be exact. So that's going to come into play. Jack and Janet and the kids would live on one side of the duplex and the parents on the other. Now, you're familiar with a duplex. Yes. Um, but I don't know that every place has a duplex, so uh-huh. I thought we'd take just a quick second and explain what that is. A duplex is a house. It looks like a regular house. But it's pretty much divided into two apartments. You have one side that one family can live on and another side that the other can live on. So that's a duplex if you don't have them where you are. In 1972, the family moves in there. And uh, they say it was relatively uneventful for the first 18 months that they lived there. Uh, They were starting to have little things happen, but nothing major. Now, for example, they were doing some renovations when they first moved in because the place was kind of Mm-hmm. You know, Run dilapidated. Down. Yeah. yeah, it was a fixer-upper, without a doubt. And they went ahead and, and uh, they started, you know, painting the walls, doing some plumbing, and they would have tools that would disappear, and then they just turn right back up. Uh, the movie that was based on this was called uh, A Haunting, mm-hmm. and it came out in, like, 1991. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, has it been that long? Yeah. Wow. So you can find it on YouTube, and, and in here it'll show you that they said that the movie was really close to what happened. They didn't want the movie to be embellished. They wanted yeah. the movie to be exactly. You see a lot of these, uh, what is it, based on a true story. And right, a, right. They said they said that this movie was exactly what happened. There is Whoa. no faith. The only thing they did was change the name of the children in the movie. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, that's what you want to see. But in the movie, uh, there's, a, there's a scene where the dad's actually working on the sink. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his head's all underneath the sink. He's got a hammer right behind him. And then he goes, reaches back and it's gone. Yeah. And then when he... Probably a roach carried it off. Probably so. <laughs> and then, But then he looks back again. And it's there. And it's right back again. And, you know, but these are things... so crazy. These are things you don't think anything of. Well, yeah. Well, then, like, one of the other things that they started doing is uh, they were sprucing up the place and they were doing some painting. It was like they had these massive stains on the wall. So they would paint over them and everything looks good. And then within a few seconds later, the stain would come back through. That's not unusual if you have some stained paints just don't cover. Yeah. So these are things that you wouldn't think about in the beginning. You know, that could be fairly normal. I wonder what the stains were. I don't know. Hmm. (laughs) I didn't see that anywhere in the research. Just curious. In 1974, things started to intensify a little bit. Appliances would catch on fire, even though they weren't plugged in. And they had this problem with a toaster. And they would have the wiring and stuff checked on it, but there was nothing faulty with it. It was just... Dang. You know, 
odd that it would happen. So they start to hear a door slam, disembodied voices. They started getting this really horrible smell. And eventually, around 1978, things started looking up for the family. So these little things were happening, and they knew they were happening, but they just didn't bother them. They just went on about their daily life and thought, hmm, some weird stuff going on here, but I don't know how appliances that catch on fire not being plugged up wouldn't bother well, you. Well, that would bother me. And how you just let the smell fade away after time? Is that what you do? Well, yeah, they, it, <laughs> they said it would come and go. It would be mm-hmm. there and it would just disappear. So they just dealt with it. It's like that in my Louisville store. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. There's a, there, there is a sewer smell mm-hmm. that would just be in the back room. And it's, but it's, and, and you can walk outside and you can smell it outside too. And then it just disappears as quick as it came. So it's very odd, but it's, I'm sure it's got something to do with plumbing. Oh, your farts. It could very well be that. They may not smell it when I'm not there. <laughs> so in 1978, things started looking up for him. Jack had been promoted on his job. He actually worked for Tops, which is the baseball card company. Oh, yeah. You know, the baseball, Tops baseball cards uh-huh. with the gum stuff. That's who he worked for. Oh, that's fun. But he'd pr- been promoted there. They found out they were pregnant with twins. Oh, wow. And the twins were born. So this was a positive. So we're moving ahead yeah. pretty quick in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen and Shannon were the two twins. And remember, it was um, Heather and um, what did I say the other chick's name was? Whatever her name was. We talked about it in the beginning, so we didn't forget her. Anyway, Dawn. Heather oh, yeah. Dawn. Dawn. Heather and Dawn. So after that, things kind of started to take a turn for the worse. The family started to really struggle financially. Jack's mother had a heart attack. And then after that, she like hardly ever left the house anymore. His mom, Mary. Oh. Because remember, they lived on one side of the duplex. Yeah, but, yeah, but I wonder why financially, and they got a raise and all that stuff. I don't know, because they didn't really go into a lot of it. But, I mean, if you've if you've got a raise and everything, but mm-hmm. maybe adding the twins, twins. to Twins, I mean, yeah, that's costly in itself. I don't know what their itself. medical situation right. was. I mean, they could have maybe owned medical bills. I don't know. But they dealt with all this pretty much poltergeist activity uh, for several years. They were thinking, shoo, I ain't worried about no poltergeist. I got bills to pay, and that's way scarier than any poltergeist. <laughs> In some cases, I'm sure it is. But it all turned to something horrifically different in 1985. So keep in mind, they moved in in 1972. Mm-hmm. In 1985, 13 years later, they had been dealing with this and mm-hmm. just putting up with it. By the family's account, the TV set burst into flames. I would be so mad. Well, at least it wasn't a flat screen back then. Well, that's true. They also started seeing scratches appear on the walls. And you know what that means whenever you see scratches. What? <laughs> usually usually there's demons involved. Oh, well, I knew Ghosts that. don't scratch. Well, well you ghosts don't like, scratch, you know, but demons do. Yes. What if it's a mosquito ghost <laughs> that caused you to scratch? Ooh. Anyways. I wish it was a mosquito that could suck some fat out. They, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. They started, the toilet started flushing by itself. Now, what, that would be a good thing. Rocking chairs, not if it's running your water bill up. Oh. Rocking chairs started rocking on their own. So these are just like a step up from what they were experiencing, but you wouldn't think it's, you know, anything major. Right, making, those are like little things. Yeah, that's not headline news type of stuff, but the rest of the story gets crazy. So Janet seemed to be getting the worst of all this. She's the mom. She started hearing voices, and these voices would sometimes take on the sound of voices of other family members. 
Oh. Which is a very, very cruel way to torture somebody if you really wanted to, if you had that ability. So there was one instance where she heard Jack's mom. Mary, you know, she Mary, mm-hmm. her, Jack's mom, Mary, he was yelling for her. She was down in the basement doing some laundry, and she starts hearing, you know, Janet. She's like, Mom? And just keep hearing, Janet, Janet. And she's looking everywhere. She goes up the stairs. She can't find her. So then she goes next door. And she knocks on the door. She wants to find out, you know, hey, Mary, what come did over you the want? house. Yeah. You know, and when she comes in, she finds out that um, uh, his dad, John says, um, yeah, she's here. I don't think she really wants to talk to you right now. What? So Janet was perplexed. And she goes in there and she's like, were you just over at our house? And she's like, no, it wasn't over your house. And she said, but, you know, I heard you and Jack arguing. And I heard the language that you were using and that he was using. And he was brought up in a good Catholic home. And I don't condone that kind of language. And... It's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Mary, Jack's at work. He's been at work all day long. We've definitely not been arguing. Wow, that's so weird. Yeah, because these were probably both happening at around the same Same time. Same time, yeah. So Jack and Janet were, like I said, both brought up in in a strict Catholic home. So, you know, they went to church. They were active in their church right there in town. They definitely believed in the fact that demons could... Uh, exist and, and could wreak havoc mm-hmm. on your family. And, and so this was not something that would be out of the, the ordinary for them to have conversations about. But Janet would tell Jack of the events that went on, and he basically would tell her that she's imagining stuff. Well, things got worse, but it was always happening to Janet, like we said. In this case, though, just like with the voices – Mary got involved in this because Janet was in a room and right in front of her, this black mass, like a shadow type figure appeared. And she seen it just kind of walk away from her. She said it got cold in the room. She felt uh, just really like a, like a depression type mm-hmm. set in. Yeah. And she seen it walk through a wall. Oh, wow. And obviously... She sees this and and she's like, I, I got to tell somebody. So she walks over next door. Does she walk over? She walk over through the wall to her mom's. She didn't walk through the wall. No, 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 her the ghost. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah. So she went over to talk to her mom or her her mother mother law, and Mary said the strangest thing just happened. I saw this black mass or mm, shadow figure. figure mm-hmm come through the wall and just walk right past me. So now you got both of them that seen the same yeah. thing. So they go down and have dinner with the two men, their husbands, and they sit down and they're like, you know, we got something to tell you, and this is what we saw. And the men just kind of said. Wish eh. you weren't a liar. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> They're like, it's got to be something else. It's got to be something rational. There's no way you've seen this. The women are terrified at this point. And that has to be such an awful feeling. No one, you you saw that, but you can't get anybody to believe you. And we're going to get into that in a minute. That's actually a key to possession that we will talk about. Now, Jack finally became a believer one night when uh, Janet woke him up. And after she woke him up, he could hear a woman whispering. 
or at least what seemed like a woman. When he turned to look at Janet, he saw a shadow figure run up her leg. Like, a, it wasn't little bitty, but he could see it, like, mm. kind of, ninja? <laughs> Am I boring you? <laughs> so he could see the shadow figure just kind of run up her leg. And Janet said that this is an incubus that had molested her in her sleep before. What? What the heck? You know what an incubus is? Uh-huh. What? <laughs> An incubus. I wish you could see Tracy shaking her head no frantically (laughs) right after she said yeah. (laughs) An incubus (laughs) is an entity that has its way with women while they're asleep. Please don't make a Bill Cosby joke. I wasn't going to, but some some women might like that. I mean, like, oh, yeah. And some wouldn't. Well, I'm sure not. Either way. So that's an incubus. That so it's I, I don't know that it's a male spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just know that it likes to have its way with women while they're asleep, and that's what an incubus is. You remember the band Incubus? Yeah. No. Yeah, there's a band Incubus. They did a lot of like acoustic type stuff back oh. in the eighties and nineties. I think they're still around. Anyway, so she tells that story uh to him and he's like amazed and now he believes because he's seen this day. Well, it gets worse. This huge light fixture that's in their dining room Mm -hmm. just falls. And it barely misses one of the daughters. Oh, man. She gets some cuts and stuff on her face from the glass from where it hit. and Yeah, he was probably like, dang, I thought I put that light up better than that. I don't know that he even put the light up. Could have been there already. Oh, I see. Janet said... That she was picked up at one point about six feet off the off the ground. Mm-hmm. And she just hovered there for a few minutes and then she was thrown across the room. Ninja, cover your ears. They had a German shepherd that also got thrown up against the wall Aww. by the entity. That's not nice. No, that's not nice at all. Peter would be pissed. Mm-hmm. Jack says that one night... Well, he was watching a baseball game on TV. I guess, I don't know if this is the one that blew up or before that or after that, that he had a succubus. What the hell is a succubus? Well, a succubus is the exact opposite of what we talked about. That is an entity that forces herself on men while they're asleep. Oh, I get a succubus. Well, I guess you could say, <laughs> you could say an incubus. Because going in, yeah, and a succubus for obvious reasons. Man, I can't believe there's so many perverts in the dead. I'm just wondering if they, if you got one that does stuff to both, and they'd be a bacubus. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's Pride Month. We can't talk about that. Anyways, so this succubus forced herself on him and had her way with him while he was watching a baseball game. He said that she had the body of a young girl but the head of an old woman. Hmm. I'm not going to say anything about not having teeth then. Could be a good trade. Anyways, neighbors had reported hearing loud screams and moans from the house when nobody was at home, so much so that the police were called on several occasions. The Smurl said that they went on a camping trip one time, but the black shadow figure appeared at the campsite, and it scared them so bad that they went back home. I can't... What do you so, go back home to? What the other stuff that's already there? Yeah. I guess if you got the shot at, you know, being made out with by a ghost watching a baseball game, that's better than, mm-hmm. I don't know. In 1986, 
This prompted them to contact Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed and Lorraine investigated the house and proclaimed that there were four entities in the house. They said there was a uh, harmless old woman. (laughs) A violent little girl who was probably to blame for most of the uh, bad things that went on. A man who had suffered a lot in life and had died in the house. Aww. And there was a demon who was using the other three to destroy their family. So, Mm. you got that. So, they said that the home was possessed. Now, normally we hear about people being possessed, not a house. Mm -hmm. So, I thought this would be a really good time to take a few minutes to talk about the stages of possession. And I was supposed to have an exorcist on here to talk about this before, but he stood me up twice. So, we won't mention him again. I'll just read it myself. So, the first is infestation. These are the little things that people just either don't notice or um, they deny that's happening. And it's going to be very similar to the stuff like we were talking about, code spots, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the painting and the stain coming through, the tools missing, uh, toilets flush up. This is going to be types of things that you could probably pass off as something else. The second is oppression, and that's very similar to marriage. Oppression seeks out the weakest link in the household and it goes all in on it. It makes that person the target for all of its attacks. And this could be from hitting and pushing to biting or scratching or showing itself like a black mass would. Obviously, in this scenario, uh, Mary saw some of the stuff, but um, his wife, Janet, was the one that was really getting the grunt of it. Now, to the targeting person, this is extremely terrifying because, much like you talked about earlier, nobody believes you, so you have to kind of fight this battle alone. This stage usually continues in the target uh, until the target gives up. No more faith, no more hopes left. Um, so they're kind yeah. of empty. That leads to the third stage, which is full-on possession. The demon's got full power and is capable of anything and everything he wants to do with you. The target person will have their soul and body taken over. And it's tough to get a demon out of uh, somebody once it's already in there. They have to fight from the inside out, which is extremely tough. And that's why exorcisms are usually needed. So how about that? You feel like you learned something about possession? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to be possessed. So this possession was really not a, a single person. It was a house like we discussed. The whole motive of this possession was to destroy the family that was living in the house. The Smurls believed that the light fixture that, that fell was actually meant to kill their daughter. Mm-hmm. Now it would have looked like an accident to anybody outside looking in, but to the family that's living in the house, they would have known that what the truth yeah, was. No, different. Yeah. So back to the warrants, Ed said that during his uh, investigation, he experienced a smell that was similar to rotting flesh. He said that one of the creepiest ways that the uh, haunting would manifest itself was through the sound of moans and blood-curdling screams that would rip through the house at all hours of the day and night. Mm -hmm. But how did the term blood-curdling come up? I don't know. I mean, how does a scream make your blood curdle? That's only going to happen from heat or... Right. I don't know. Somebody just makes up crap. (laughs) He said that he saw a mucus-like, smoky-type substance that began to whirl and uh, materialize on a mirror, spelling out 
filthy obscenities, telling me in no uncertain terms to get out of the house. Ed said that he experienced a cold spot and saw a shadow figure the first night he was in the home. Ninja. He said, and I quote, I did not have to wait moments when the very thing I felt was a drop in temperature at least 30 uh, some degrees. Then a dark mass formed about three feet in front of me. He said, then something began throwing things around the house, uh, including the mattress in the master bedroom. Well, he didn't waste no time. No. Whatever was uh, haunting the Smurls, it hated any type of religious mm-hmm. articles or... He said that the, the Warrens had the family do a group prayer in the, in the middle of the uh, prayer. Something said, you filthy bastard, get out of this house. It's very vulgar. Yes, he is. That's uncalled for. Then the house started shaking and two female ghosts dressed in colonial mm-hmm. style clothes just kind of walked through the house while they were doing that. And they said it was the only time that. Um, these female ghosts had ever been seen Mm -hmm. in the house. Then they said that it was possible that one of these could have been the succubus that supposedly, you know, did whatever to to Mm -hmm. Jack. Jack, during this time, said that he tried to say the rosary during the time the succubus had him. Mm -hmm. He said that he was trying to do the rosary, but the creature just kind of dragged him around the room. Wow, he keep on. He said it the whole time, though. I don't know, and it just didn't work. I I guess not. Now they had several pieces from the Scranton um, branch of the Roman Catholic Church come out and try to do blessings and exorcisms, but nothing worked. Janet thinks that the reason that it didn't work is because the spirits. I don't buy this at all, but that the spirits were like when they were at one side of the duplex, the spirits went to the other duplex, the other side. Like, ha I'm over here. Yeah. <laughs> and it does, that part doesn't make sense to me because it's still really one house. You've got a dividing yeah. wall. Right. But if you've got an entity that can go through bedroom walls, kitchen walls, and all that, I don't see what the difference would be. And if it can has the ability to go to the next house over, like it was doing, I don't see how... It could hide out over there if you're doing a blessing. I, mean, I would think if they're doing a blessing, they would cover the. Or why not send a priest to each one and do them at the same time? So, I mean, I guess there are houses or people maybe that they try to bless the house and do the exorcisms and whatever. And, I mean, is it they never are able to to heal them or fix them at all? Is that the no, case? There's, there's times where exorcisms don't don't take. So what, I mean, then what happens then? I don't know. They just keep on being little shits? Uh, apparently. Okay. <laughs> all the uh, priests that came to the house said that there was nothing harmful at the house. There was no harmful activity at all. So that goes against kind of what oh. they're seeing unless these... Uh, entities are just really good at staying yeah, I was, hidden. I was going to say, how how can they say that when? Well, that's that's they're, really. They're there. just going by what they see. Yeah. Now then, you had a local priest that he even stayed a couple of nights with them, but saw nothing, so he left. He spent two straight nights and saw absolutely nothing. So, when they weren't getting the help that they they really wanted from the church, they went to the media with the story, and. 
people started coming from uh, once they went to the media, they had people coming all hours of the day, seven days a week. They were snapping pictures. There was lines of cars on the street with um, people just hoping to catch a glimpse of something mm-hmm. paranormal. A fourth exorcism apparently took care of the problem, but the family um, had already so tired of all the publicity and, and the scrutiny from the media that in 1987, they moved back to Wilkes Bar. Mm-hmm. So I said it different that time. I'll make everybody happy. I know. I wonder, though, since since all the media was outside 24-7, if that stuff was still going on in the house. Well... Or they don't like, ghosts don't like paparazzi. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Supposedly, when they moved, supernatural activity followed them. And to their new home. Oh, my gosh. A church sanctioned exorcism was done in 1989, which would have been two years later, so we'd done 87. And it finally cleared the house of the activity. So, how could that would be horrible to have to live your life trying to move away and that stinking thing follows you? I know. I mean, how horrible is that? <laughs> but so then you got uh, paranormal experts, priests, TV producers, journalists. They pretty much all scrutinize their story from that point on. They're picking it apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, they also picked apart the Warrens and, uh, Robert Coran, who actually was doing the uh, writing the book, haunted one uh, family's nightmare. So now most say the book was one-sided and it left out several rational explanations as to what could have actually happened there. Uh, the owner of the duplex, after they moved out, says that nothing unusual has happened in the time that they've been gone. Hmm. So, what are some of the possible explanations that? Uh, were mentioned at the time that this was happening, but were ignored by the Warrens, of course. Well, when the Warrens got to the home, they did not conduct any type of scientific investigation, and they never questioned the Smurls about their feelings regarding the phenomena that was going on. They asked Father Robert McKenna, fuck. They asked Father Robert McKenna to uh, come by the house and do. You know, a blessing. And by the way, while we're on the subject of him, he's a member of a Catholic church, but it's not a form of Catholicism that's recognized by the Vatican. So I guess, you know, that's like an offspring uh, rebel Catholic church Mm -hmm. or something. Uh, But they had him come over and perform uh, some exorcisms. After three of not working, the Smurls contacted the media and... They also, oddly enough, contacted a book publisher. Hmm. So this is why people kind of start getting. So they want to get their own story out there finally. Well, this, yeah, this was, and keep in mind, this was before the Warrens ever published a book or anything. This was all during the haunting. This was still while the Warrens were working with them and all that. Then there's this group called the CICOP. That's very long. That stands for the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal. They wanted to come in and do an investigation of the uh, of phenomena going on. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll send two teams of researchers out there and see what's going on. At the, at the time, the uh, chairman was Paul Kurtz. So he offered to do the thing for free. He sends people out there. 
and the Warrens Found refuse oh. to let them come in and investigate. Well, how can they do that? Well, I mean, I guess they were kind of in control, even though it wasn't their house. Eventually, the uh, Smurls decided to let one team come in mm-hmm. and investigate. And they asked a bunch of questions of the Smurls. They looked around. They uh, talked to a bunch of neighbors. And they talked to a bunch of the journalists who had been out there covering the story. Mm-hmm. They wrote a report called A Haunting in West Pitson. Not a ghost of a chance. And it appeared in the winter of 1986-87 of the Skeptical Inquirer. Who wrote that? Kurtz. The Kurtz did? Yeah, that committee. I like that story, or the name of the book. Oh. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Why not? The uh, Kurtz believes that the haunting was a hoax for a few reasons. One, there was a conflicting report from the oldest daughter, Dawn, who was in her late teens at the time. And then the other was Jack's health. Now, what hasn't been mentioned before now is that three years before this haunting started, Jack had brain surgery to relieve water on his brain, which could contribute to delusion, which I guess is better than the water in the brain, which would contribute to dilution. (laughs) Well, whatever. (laughs) So they thought, okay, if this could be causing delusion then this could account for some of what he may or may be seeing. Yeah, but you said that he didn't believe any of that at first. Well, that's what we were told. But they're saying they're just looking for something that could fit. So an Allentown uh, psychologist by the name of Robert Gordon thinks that the family possibly suffered from mass hysteria like what happened in the Salem witch trials. So he thinks that Robert started seeing something, and then the rest of the family, because he's seeing something, they think they see something. Next thing you know, everybody's seeing something. In Mm -hmm. reality, nobody saw anything. That's what he thinks may have happened. So when Kurtz asked the Smurls to undergo a complete um, psychological and physiological exam, they refused. As far as the smell, neighbors had complained to town officials for years about a stench originating from a sewer pipe that was really close to the Smurls' home. So that could have answered the swirl. As far as the shaking and rocking chairs, rocking on their own, there was a a lot of, uh, what do you call it, underground uh, mines and stuff like that. Not mines, uh, but, you know, like caves and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. There was a lot of that stuff in that area. That's coal mine country. And they think that because there was so much that there's a lot of settling going on in houses in a neighborhood, and that could, you know, you get a house that's settling a little bit, it might cause a rocking chair to rock or something like that. Kurtz also thinks that it was a hoax that was created for financial gain. He said, within days of the story making the news, a witness saw Jack negotiating with a Scranton uh, businessman by the name of Michael Scott. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> little office joke. Anyway, his uh, his name was Ralph Loma, and uh, he was head of the Star Group, which was a Hollywood production company. Okay, that still doesn't explain the light falling. But we don't know any of that stuff really. They're just saying, you're not going to find an expla- explanation for everything. They're just trying to point out what they can to say mm-hmm. some of it may have an explanation. So Jack denied that he had met with uh, Loma but Loma confirmed that he tried to get the exclusive rights to the story uh, about this case. 
In November, St. Martin's Press announced that they had signed a book contract with the Smurls. Ed tried to defend his refusal. This is this is the best part of the story. Ed tried to defend his refusal of the, of the uh, investigation by calling a press conference. Mm. So he didn't let them come in, and here's why. He claims that he had audio of terrifying sounds and videotape of the shadow figure at the duplex, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody asked asked uh, if they could get him, he said he couldn't remember the name of the uh, TV company that he gave it to. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He then said the Catholic Church had the evidence. The Catholic Church said, uh, we don't have anything. The Scranton Diocese, Catholic Diocese, they asked Father Alphonsus Trebold. He's an exorcist, a professor, a paranormal expert from St. Bonaventure uh, University in New York to investigate. Now, normally they wouldn't go from somebody outside of their area, but bishops can get help from... Uh, exorcists and stuff outside of the area if they don't feel like that they have anyone that's qualified enough in their district. I think you'd want somebody outside of the area just to prove if they don't know anything about. Well, I think that in most cases they just try to keep it yeah. under wraps so not everybody knows what's going on. So in 1998, this father, Trebold, said that at the time he had previously worked with the Warrens, so he was more than happy to go look at this case. Uh, but he said he, he had worked for them before, but he wasn't going to work with them anymore because he discovered they weren't very sincere people, and uh, they were not what they pur- were purported. So this stuff about Ed being a self-proclaimed demonologist and, and uh, Lorraine being a clairvoyant and a medium and all that stuff, he's basically saying they weren't any of that. They were just full of crap. Oh. Uh, he also said that they were uh, given to sensationality. Which means they like to lie a little bit and build Mm -hmm. stuff up. He chuckled a little bit and he said that uh, they recognized him one time when he went to one of their lectures. So they toned it down a bit. So when he went to go see him at other lectures, uh, he wore disguises so they couldn't see. But he he wanted to see what they preached about in their in their little lectures and stuff like that to see what they were, you know, how it was compared to where they were when they were on site. Father said that um, he feels like the Smurl family had something happen, but he couldn't say that it was demonic. He thinks that they were sincere and they believe that something happened. He just doesn't know that there was actually something there. Now, there is another view that says that uh, these attacks are very similar to domestic violence. That it's thought that maybe the Smurls were having some marital problems, even though this hasn't been proven. And that it is possible that they covered up screams and uh, and arguments and signs of physical um, altercations like scratches or bumps or bruises and all that with the story of paranormal activities. It just seems like if that's not what it is, it's a lot of trouble to go through. Well, sure. I mean, but it's just somebody's view. doesn't mean that's necessarily what it is. So Jack passed away in 2017 from diabetes-related illness. He was 75 years old. His uh, youngest daughter, Karen, said that everything that was reported about the haunting was 100% true. She said that her dad was a great man. He would have done anything to protect them. He was uh, a member of the Lions Club, and he coached the girls' softball team when they were little. And she said that uh, she used to joke around all the time with her dad that he didn't have four daughters. He had a 100 daughters and that several of her old teammates called when her dad passed away to talk about how much he meant to them. Oh, 
So apparently was a, a, a super nice guy. Yeah. Now, I've, ta- I've listened to Karen a little bit um, talking about her time in the house. And she was saying that she remembers when she was about five years old that she was in the uh, bunk beds. Her and her twin sister slept in bunk beds. And she said she had seen this black entity before, but it always just was something she saw. Mm-hmm. She can remember even being as young as three when all this happened and seeing this entity. But for some reason this night, it actually grabbed her by her leg and drug her out of her bed and into the hallway. Oh. And that's the first time that it had become physical with her. So, you know, the whole family has these stories. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody was unscathed. I mean, I said we had a dog that yeah. was pushed into the wall. We had, you know, Mary saw this thing, but mainly on their side of the duplex, there was all kinds of physical activity going on from, you know, sexual misconduct to people being thrown down the steps. Oh, that's what it was. I'm sorry. Karen was actually thrown down the steps. They drug her out in the hallway and threw her down the steps. So, yeah, the whole thing, it, like I said in the beginning, if this story is is true, even if it's 75% true, it's completely horrifying. Yes. I mean, I can't imagine that, I mean, her being as an adult and can remember that. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why she would make something up like that. No. So. And, and I haven't heard anybody else from the family talk, but I have heard Karen talking. She's like 39 or 40 now. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I really would like to get her on the show. So that would I'm going be... to work on getting that so we can actually hear her yeah, versions of Yeah, that would be on. awesome. And, and like you, that is terrifying. I cannot even fathom having something like that happen. Oh, it's, like and I said, it's... I don't know. That's pretty dang crazy. So, anyway, let's take a, a, a few seconds. And, well, it's not a few seconds. It's like 40 minutes. But let's, <laughs> let's listen to Anthony and uh, SJD talk about their book, Devil Eye, and listen, these, these stories in Columbia are awesome. You're going to like them. All right, guys, I got a treat for you tonight. It's not often that I get to do this. We got to do this with Steve Asher. If uh, you remember, he came on and told us about a couple of books that he had, and he's a listener of the show, lives in our backyard. But we've got some other listeners to the show that have a book, and, and uh, when we started talking about this, off the air, I was like, man, we got to get you guys on the show, especially after I started reading some of the book. I, I was really amazed because a lot of times, let's be honest, people come to you and they say, oh, I got a book or I'm doing this and that. You really don't know what to expect. But these gentlemen are really talented. And uh, I thought I would be doing a disservice if I did not get them on the show and let you guys hear about them. So I want to welcome, first and foremost, Anthony Ward and uh S.J.D. Connell to the show. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having us. So we're going to jump right into this because I, I thought it was fantastic. And today's actually kind of a big day when we're recording this. It's a couple days before the show comes out. Um, but the book is called Devil Eye, correct? Yes, that's correct. And it's available... On ebook on Amazon, but today it comes out on paperback. So you guys are probably pretty excited about that. Yeah, we are. We're really happy about that. Looking forward to hearing what people think about it. So this is one of those creepy stories that involves young kids. Like at the beginning of our show, we always have that the little girl laughing and stuff because people just in general are creeped out when they start thinking about kids and ghosts and stuff like that and this is one of those deals where you of course got the little kid with the the imaginary friend and we all know that 
those friends usually end up not being necessarily imaginary, but possibly ghosts. And this story is along that lines. Now, guys, is this story based on actual events, or is this something that you just came up with after hearing some stuff? Tell me a little bit about the uh, process of how you came up with the idea for the book. Well, we kind of came up with the idea from uh, having heard stories from our friends and, you know, a couple of interesting happenings, you know, as, as parents, you know, because Steve has his daughters and I have my daughter and certain things have happened. And uh, we kind of put it together and we started messing around with the idea of uh, having an imaginary friend that has a peculiar ability. Yeah. And our goal was to give readers kind of something very familiar, but also unfamiliar, if that makes sense, where, yes, the imaginary friend is anything but imaginary. However, we didn't want to set this story in any known kind of paranormal universe that people may be familiar with, you know, with known game rules, if you may, Mm -hmm. about ghosts or supernatural or paranormal events. We wanted to take this idea and create something never seen before or never read before. So all, all all the rules were thrown out and we decided to just try to give something fresh and new in a way that's delivered so that it could be creepy and terrifying at the same time. I'll definitely give you that. It is different, and obviously I'm not going to give it away, but there are some twists and turns along the way that are completely unexpected in this book. Yeah, there's a major twist. <laughs> yeah, and, and as Anthony was saying, you know, both of us are our dads, and we've got children, and we have been around our, our children's experiences, and some of them have had some imaginary friends, and and uh, some of the children have had experiences that have made us question ourselves. Are these really imaginary friends? Yeah, like my, my wife's uh, oldest daughter, when uh, she was born, she, uh, her, uh, her great grandfather was very ill and, uh, you know, he, he hung on to, so he could meet his first biological great granddaughter. So about a year after that, now I, this is the way that I've heard the story that, uh, about a year after that, uh, my wife heard her daughter, you know, playing in the crib. And so she went in to check in on the child and uh, she was speaking to something up on the wall and very happily saying, Abuelo, Abuelo, which in Spanish means grandfather. Well, she never got a chance to meet this man, but she was talking to somebody and she does not speak Spanish to this day. Oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, one time I was I was telling uh, Anthony about a story of my own daughter um, who often, you know, from very early on had some imaginary friends that, you know, my wife and I thought were pretty charming. She had one imaginary friend that she called Smiley Face. And when my daughter was about probably 18 months old, the first time she could start talking and, and walking around, it was always Smiley Face, her, her companion. And she would tell us stories about Smiley Face's family and all these things. And, and, uh, when she was just a little bit older, maybe about two and a half, we had bought in, you know, to the whole idea of her imaginary friend and humored her as much as we could. But my daughter got sick. She's okay today, but she had a great fever that we had to take her to urgent care. And, you know, parents that are, you know, very fearful of doing that, you know, we were, we were freaked out. And uh, my daughter had a fever that was astronomical. And uh, my wife was holding her. They were icing her down. My wife was, you know, trying to keep her from falling asleep so that, you know, she could, she could stay awake and alert. And my wife said, try to stay alert. And uh, my daughter looks up at my wife, clear-eyed, and as clearly speaking, she says, smiley face is telling me to go into the light. 
And we thought, whoa, that is just too strange because our child had never seen any horror movies, never watched Poltergeist, never knew any of the metaphor of what going into the light means. And here she's telling us that her imaginary friend wants her to go into the light. So my wife, without skipping a beat, says, no, no, tell Smiley Face, you are not going into the light. And that's the kind of story that, you know, we were talking about, Tony and I, and uh, having a, you know, a lot of fun when we thought, well, well, what if we start pulling together some ideas for a novel that deals with an imaginary friend that is far from imaginary. Well, that And that leads right into what my next question is going to be. You pretty much answered it is how did you guys decide to, to, you know, look, let's be honest. There's a lot of people out there that have ideas, but nothing ever really comes of the ideas. You guys at some point in time said, Hey, we got these cool stories. Let's take that next step and get a book. Let's make a book out of it. So tell me a little bit about that process. What makes someone take that next step to say, hey, we're going to do something that not all, most of our friends don't do. We're actually going to write a book and we're going to get it out there to be sold. How did how does that take place? Well, Steve and I had collaborated a few times before on uh, a couple of ghostwriting projects. And uh, so we we worked together on this and but we'd always it always been stuff that other people wanted written and you know we had a deadline it wasn't anything that we were particularly you know like super happy not happy about but rather our personal interest this is more of a personal interest and you know after turning over the idea you know sitting around and bsing about ghosts and paranormal we started saying, you know what, maybe we should write a book about this. It'll be fun. It'll, it'll be something that we write for us, if you will, to entertain ourselves. So while we were brainstorming, this, this main character comes into our imaginations at about the same time. Yeah, literally at the same time. Yeah, a, a young mother who, uh, she's very frail. She's, she suffers from many different phobias. Uh, she doesn't like to leave the house, but she's a loving mother and, you know, She's got a daughter who um, she realizes her daughter's got an imaginary friend and uh, there may be something more than that. So this child um, in the novel is uh, about five years old and she gets ready to go to school for the first time. So this this very fearful mother worried about her daughter and her daughter's somewhat imaginary friend all of a sudden is alone in a house while her daughter's in school and she realizes that. The imaginary friend is in the house with her. And that's the basic setup of the book. This frail, fearful mother having to grapple with this idea. What I like about this book, and it's completely different, this is where you can tell things are evolving around um, uh, today's media and, and getting a little more insight to the tech world and stuff like that is in your book, Paranormal Podcasts, um, I actually play a, a prominent part. There's a paranormal podcast host that's constantly, you know, that, that's involved heavily in this book, and I'm not going to give it away, but I think that's kind of cool. Obviously, being a, a paranormal podcast host myself, we get listeners asking all the time for advice, and I mean, to be honest with you, yeah, I don't really have a lot of advice to be able to give. I mean, I love the subject, but I'm only going by things that I've heard and things that I've read. I really don't have a lot of experience myself helping in these situations. And I just thought that it was pretty cool that you guys added that. So was there 
a particular incident that you saw on the news or just something you heard about or just that just, just comes straight from your mind that inspired you to add that as part of the plot and storyline? Well, believe it or not, at the time I was working out and uh, I was I, I think I was doing like a, a five a five mile run at the time. And uh, I was listening to uh, old uh, Coast to Coast, mm-hmm. you know, with Art Bell, the late great Art Bell. And I don't remember who he was interviewing, but the the guest mentioned something. And I was, as I was running, I remember thinking, hey, you know, wouldn't it be fun to write this? Like, you know, and we already gave you the setup. And then after I got done with my workout, I uh, I texted Steve. And that's kind of, you know, another part of it. But, yeah, it was based mostly from me because I you know I, I do have a little bit of time to spare because of the nature of my business to listen to podcasts and like I said great fan of Art Bell from you know from way back in his KXNT days here in in, uh, in Las Vegas and uh, you know that was that was what sparked this so I contacted Steve and, and I said you know let's work on this and then the character that you're referring to is a composite of a lot of uh, you guys you know you Dave Schrader over at Darkness Radio, uh, Art Bell for sure, for sure, the great Art Bell. And then we just asked ourselves, what if, you know, this this mom who's basically housebound, how would she reach out? How would she try to investigate uh, what she thinks is strange in our house? So she sends a, a message to the fictional podcast hosts and starts to get a conversation going with these folks and starts to get close to solving the mystery as at the same time as the mystery starts escalating beyond her sole ability to handle it. And you know, it's funny. Cause like I said, this, since the time that we initially started talking about the book, cause this goes back a month and a half or so uh, when I read the book, but in that time, without me mentioning to anybody that we were going to talk about this or talk about the book, we had a listener send us a message, and we had her on the show uh, two or three weeks ago by Chelsea out in California. She sent me a message and said, hey, I'm having a lot of weird stuff happen in my house. Do you have any suggestions? And I hooked her up with two different people that had knowledge of that because, like I said, I don't have the knowledge, but I at least knew people because of what I do. Uh, and she has gotten a lot of that problem resolved. So in a sense, some of, of what you discussed in the book at least on my end, and I'm sure other uh, paranormal podcasters have ran to the exact same thing, you know, it, it did actually come to fruition. We did have somebody seeking our advice for, you know, a situation and was able to put them in touch with people to help out. So it's a little bit of uh, uh, foreshadowing there. Yeah, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, Jerry, because, you know, you are viewed in the community as quite the expert and, uh, you know, I would imagine that people will most certainly reach out to you and the other uh, hosts at different podcasts and radio shows even to get advice and to maybe get some contact information on somebody that could actually help or locally even, you know, because you're, you're on the other side of the country from us. So I could imagine that that would be, you know, probably growing exponentially. Yeah, what you describe is one of those wonderful coincidences that uh – May not be a coincidence if we look at things a certain way. No, y'all definitely didn't hit the nail on the head, that's for sure. So let me ask you guys this. Is there any kind of a message that you wanted to uh, portray with this book? Is, uh, is there something you need want readers to take away from it? 
or were you just putting it out because you thought it would be enjoyable? Well, you know, um, taking off from what we were just saying about, you know, coincidences not always being coincidences, we want to ask, you know, our readers, you know, not to, you know, take these odd things that may happen and, and dismiss them as coincidence and, or, or just, you know, let them go as, you know, some, some, you know, funky thing that's not really that mysterious. But maybe we should not dismiss the paranormal and supernatural because sometimes there's things that really, really need to be taken seriously and uh, we need to try to figure those things out because maybe all hell can and will break loose if we just ignore them. I think that, you know, from uh, from my end of it on the book, my what I'd like the readers to take away from it is that love conquers all. At the end of the story, it's I believe it's a love story, not uh, romantic love, but just a love story between a mother and her daughter. And uh, I think it's a love story with the trappings of paranormal. Yeah, I could see that. It's kind of, uh, you know, when you said love story, but not in that romantic sense, it made me think of E.T. Because E.T. Yeah. E. to me came across kind of as a love story, even though it's not your typical love story. But in the end, that's really what it was. Certainly. It's so, the fuel for our lives, love. Right. So we like to have, when we have our guests on, especially people uh, like yourself that are um, so entrenched in storytelling, because you guys obviously are great at, at storytelling just by listening to you and reading the book. And during the midst of us talking about setting this up, Anthony, you told me that at one point in time you lived in Central America and you had some cool little like uh, urban legends and stuff from the area that I asked you if you could share with us tonight. And you said you would be more than happy to. So what you got? Well, Jerry, how much time do you have? Well, let's see about 2.7 minutes. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I've got as much time. Take uh just give me a couple of the good ones. And uh, like I said, 10, 15 minutes. All right. I'll give you one that we have, uh, Steve and I, because Steve, you know, we've known each other for quite a few years, and so he calls it the thirsty nun. So my great, uh, my great aunt Marina had, when I was about four or five years old, she passed away from stomach cancer, but she spent a lot of time in the hospital. So she was a very strong lady, and she was fearless, truly fearless. So. She was in a hospital in Costa Rica called uh, Max Peralta, which goes back, I believe, to the early 1900s. And originally, if memory serves correct, it was run by nuns. So she was unfortunately there, and she was in a communal ward, you know, where people, it's almost like a barracks. Sorry, that's our dog. That's my dog, Cash, right there. (laughs) Say hi to Ninja, Cash. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're okay with having dogs on the show. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) So anyway, it was like a barracks, if you will, you know, and you got beds right next to each other, maybe with a little screen between them. So Aunt Marina, because she was in so much pain at this time, and she was a notorious notorious, uh, insomniac, she was reading the newspaper, and she said, again, for the second time that day, and it was late night. She said out of the corner of her eye, she saw that one of the women in the, one of the adjacent beds to maybe her right was starting to, you know, f- freak out. And she would say, oh, you know, start praying in Spanish and saying, oh, you know, Dios mío, oh, my God. And then she looked over and said, oh, maybe she had a nightmare. She keeps reading the newspaper and the woman next to her 
starts acting up as well. And then when she notices that the room is progressively getting darker. And then the woman next to that other woman starts freaking out and starts screaming and, you know, covers her face up with her blankets. And now she's starting to get curious. Like I said, this woman was fearless. And so she says that the room was getting darker. And then now it's her turn. And then the darkness was in front of her. At the time, she looked at it and she said it looked darker than dark. And out of this darkness, she sees a figure that resembles a nun with big red eyes and sharp teeth. And it's holding a pitcher of water in one hand and a glass in the other. She says that it also had a gigantic rosary around her neck and it was dragging a huge crucifix that looked like it weighed like 40 pounds. And so this thing speaks to my aunt, or my great aunt, excuse me, and she says, quiere agua, which means do you want water or do you, would you like some water? And so she said, she said she looked at it and says, no, thank you. When then it moved on to the next bed and the, you know, the woman had a reaction there. And as it moved on, the room got lighter again, but the darkness moved with her. So I always took that story to be, you know, one of those funny stories. So in 1990, I moved back to Costa Rica for a while and I attended UCR down there, University of Costa Rica. And I was at the at law, law school down there. So I made some friends, of course, and one of them invited me over to their house for dinner or something. And I met their mother. Their mother had been a nurse, a very well-respected nurse, almost like a doctor nurse. And she had uh, done her, her, her early days at Max Peralta Hospital. So, you know, when people get together, you start talking, you start talking. Inevitably, the subject turns to the paranormal. And she says, oh, I got a story for you. When I worked at Max Peralta Hospital, she was the nurse and she was watching over the women's ward. And she said that she was doing her paperwork, she was doing her thing, and suddenly she was overseeing, again, the communal area where all the women were there, and that the room was starting to get darker and progressively darker and as moving closer to her. So she got up because she said, well, maybe I'm tired, you know, because it's late night. She had like a bad shift from like midnight to 8 a.m. And she looks, and it's getting darker and getting darker, and some of the women are crying, and uh, which is not unusual in the hospital, but... She, she sees that there's a movement and then the darkness comes closer to her. As it gets closer to her, she says, I see a nun. And the nun turns to the left and exits the, the, the ward. And she just stood there frozen, you know, pretty petrified for a little bit. She finally worked up the nerve to go look to see which way it went down the hall and it was gone. So she said, about an hour or so later, the relief nurse came by to, to you know, to relieve her from her, uh, her, uh, her shift for a break or something. And she said, she tells her what she'd seen. And the woman says, oh, you saw the nun. So she proceeds to tell the, you know, the, the folklore behind it, that allegedly this nun had been very mean to dying people. And so when it was her turn to die, she was judged, you know, because they're Catholic. Um, you know, upon her evil deeds. And so she was sentenced to come back to earth and give people water until they accept it. So supposedly she has to give 78 people water. And they have to accept it from her to, uh, to be able to be access, uh, to have access to heaven. That's, uh, what well, was interesting to me about that story is because I'd heard it before as a kid from my family members. And then years later, 
not quite a full grown up because I was only 19 at the time, but I hear it from a different person, completely, you know, unrelated to me and, you know, a brand new story. And I was like, whoa, you all of a sudden you know, there's confirmation. So you mean more than one person has had this experience? But both of those stories took place at the, at the same hospital, correct? Yes, same hospital, same hospital. Is it possible, I mean, I guess not from an age difference, but I mean, it's not possible those happened at the exact same time, is it? No, because my uh, my great aunt died in, seven. I want to say it was 76. And if memory serves correctly, this lady was, was uh, you know, like starting out in, as a nursing I think it was 77, 78, 78. So kind of the same time period, but apparently the legend had been there for a few years before that. That's incredible. That's an, it's an odd legend too, that you've got to get that many people. I wonder, where does the number come from? Do you know where, what was it? 78 people or? Yeah. Supposedly she denied water to 78 people on her deathbed. So she was ah. to come back and serve 78 people, but looking very, you know, very ugly and scary. And so, you know, who's going to take water from something that looks like that? Yeah, that's true. Man, that's so, that's a cool legend, and, and I've never heard anything like that. That's that's a no. brand new type legend for me. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's some uh, some interesting ones down there. If you got time for another one, Jerry, I can Ab- give you another one. <laughs> Absolutely. So I don't know if you've ever been to Costa Rica, but they the the houses sometimes are right right next to the street. So. Again, when I was in the university down there, I uh, met people, made friends. So one of my friends tells a story, told me the story that one of their friends, a girl by the name of Marta, lived very near the freeway that goes to my old hometown, if you will, Cartago. So this is really close. I mean, houses are, there's like barely any sidewalks in certain areas. But anyway, uh, she said that Marta, her friend, had heard the sirens going off. It was like, eight or nine, probably like 9 p.m., and she wanted to take a peek, and her mother said, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. She wanted, but mom, you've let me do it before. No, I don't want you to do it, not tonight. For some reason, mom didn't want her to look. So they sit down and watch their shows, and uh, they uh, somebody knocks at the door. So she gets up to check it out, and mom again says, no, let me do it. So she opens the door, and there's a little girl in front. And the little girl in front of the door says, is my mom here? Is my mommy here? And, of course, the, the mother, Martha's mother, says, what are you doing here, honey? Are you lost or something? And she says, is my mom here? No, your mom's not here. But are you lost? No. So the mom turns to Martha and says, this child is cold. Can you go in the back and get one of uh, Ga- uh, Gabriela? I think her, her younger daughter was named Gabriela. Um, can you get one of Gabriela's old sweaters so we can give it to this child? So Martha goes and does as she's told by her mother. She brings back the sweater, a little yellow sweater with a rose on the on the left-hand side, and uh, gives it to the child. When the mother puts it on the child, she says, oh, my God, you know, Nina, you're cold. Little girl, you're so cold. And so she says, let's make you some hot chocolate or something. Come in. But the girl refuses. So she says, okay, we're going to go make you hot chocolate and stay right here. So they go and make the hot chocolate. When they come back, the child is gone. So they go and look for the little girl and they can't find her. They can't find her. Nothing to be, nothing to be seen. So her father, Martha's father, was a police officer in San Jose. And San Jose is the capital. And so he comes back to the house from work. He took the bus. And, uh, 
they tell him the story. He says, oh, you know, there was a terrible accident. He says, oh, yeah, I know. I saw it. It was horrible. It was really bad. If traffic was held up and, you know, it was horrible, horrible. But I knew the EMT, so I talked to him. And uh, so what happened is with there was a, a man with his daughter had gone and seen his mother in my old hometown of Cartago. And the bus stopped in, you know, on the opposite side of the freeway. So instead of crossing on a, a pedestrian bridge, they just they were going to cross the freeway, which a lot of people do that down there. So the mother, the child's mother, had been across the freeway. When the little girl saw her mother, she got she slipped out of the man's hand and crossed in front of the bus. Now the bus was at a dead stop, but there was another bus coming around the the bus that was stopped and hit the child and killed her. And so when the father came along and he asked the EMTs what happened, they showed him, and he you know he was able to see a lot of things because he was a police officer. And they said, and he told the ladies, he said, the most terrible thing is the little girl had a sweater exactly like Gabriela's, you know, a yellow one with a little red rose on the left-hand side. That's oh, wow. Creepy. That's freaky. Yeah. Yeah, it's still, it's, it's a heartbreaker. It's what it is. They say that to this day, every once in a while, you know, in that neighborhood, you'll hear a knock and uh, it'll be the little girl. That's the legend. Man. That sent chills up my spine. Yeah, that one's uh, well, that one's one that gets me. I think it's because of the 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 child aspect of it. That that's always the. I, I hate to hear anything with children, but it does seem to uh, jump the level of, um, I guess, intrigue of the story when it involves yeah. a child. Definitely, always tragic when a child is dead in a very horrific way like that. Um, if you've got a moment, I've got a short story that I can tell you from my own past. Um, I was getting ready to ask you if you had okay. so that works out. <laughs> I had a very, very different childhood than my pal Anthony here. Um, I don't know if it's still heard in my voice or not. I've been in the West for many years, but I grew up in New York City, and uh, I lived in the Bronx, New York, in my early childhood. And in the Bronx, in the University Heights area, I don't know if you're familiar with that area. Maybe some of your listeners are, but... Um, I lived on a street where the whole street was lined with brownstone buildings, tenements, you know, brick buildings that were built in the late 1800s. And uh, growing up in the city, you know, from very young, you know, your, your mom tells you, you know, go out and play. So where do you go? You go downstairs and you play on the sidewalks, basically. The street we lived on was not very busy. And what was interesting was that it was the same street my mom grew up in. You know, she lived across the street in another tenement, and uh, we, we lived on the fifth floor, and uh, we always tried to make, you know, find places to play that were, probably today, I, I would never have allowed my kids to play in the basements or on the rooftops, and I used to ask my mom, you know, if the streets looked busy, you know, if I could go up on the roof and play, you know, the roofs in that, on that street there, they, they were all connected to each other and the basements were all connected too, which, which made it really neat at Halloween because you can go down one apartment building and go down through the basement and come up on another apartment building and then go all the way up the stairs and go across the roof and then go down into the next building. So that was really fun. So my friends and I, I was probably about seven or eight. We, we were fearless. And, uh, but my mom always told me, don't go up on the roof. Don't play on the roof. And for years she would tell me this, but she would never tell me why. So one day, I, I don't know if she thought I was old enough to hear, but she decided to tell me why, she decided to tell me the story. And the story she told me was that 
she too, when she was a child, about seven or eight, used to do the same thing across the street in her building. She'd go up on the roofs and they'd play. You know, there's, there's not a lot of space on the sidewalk. So the roof is an area where there, there, there's a gravel roof on top of um, um, tar paper so that, you know, the kids, they, they kind of, with the heels of their feet, they kind of sketch out outlines of hopscotch boards and, you know, they could play Connect Four and all this stuff and all those games that you can play normally in a park. So my mom and her friend Brenda used to always go upstairs and play on the roof. One day, for some reason, my mom wasn't allowed to go out, but Brenda knocks on her door and says, let's go upstairs, Let, let's play. You know, it's, you know it's, it's after dinner, you know, we've got some daylight. And my mom wasn't allowed, so Brenda um, said, I'm going to go up and hang out up there by myself. Um, so my mom had been worried about that because she had, with Brenda, a couple of days earlier, they found a knife on the roof. and They didn't know who left the knife there. They were worried about it. And my mom, as she explained it, it was it was a long knife, maybe a butcher's knife that had been broken, you know, so that it looked serrated, or maybe it was a big serrated knife. But she told me that, you know, she played with that knife and and you know they they you know scraped the grout in between the bricks and and it you know made funny sounds and um, but the idea that her friend Brenda was going up on the roof where they had found that knife kind of disarmed her a little bit. But uh, so the next day comes and she she wants to go and ask Brenda, you know, make sure she's okay. And she knocks on the the apartment door where Brenda lives and uh, no one answers. And Brenda's not in school. The next day comes. Brenda's not in school again. And she knocks on the door of the apartment. No one answers. Well, finally, on another day, Brenda's mom answered and told my mom that uh, Brenda wouldn't be able to come out and play anymore because something happened to her. Well, my mom learned that Brenda had died. The way it was explained to my mom, or maybe it took years for my mom to to learn this information, but her friend Brenda had been on the roof that day that my mom was supposed to be there, and somebody had murdered her. Um, The way my mom described it to me is vivid in my mind to this day. She said Brenda had been cut open from her throat down the front of her, right down to her crotch. And she had been split and spread open like a chicken, as easy as that, and just left on the roof. And my mom was crying when she was telling me the story. And and it freaked me out. Um, I don't know if it was because I was a boy. First thing I wanted to do when playtime came the next day was go on the roof and play. <laughs> um, I don't know if I was pretending not to be afraid or if I, I wanted to maybe find a knife like my mom did and, and see some other part of the mystery. But as I mentioned, you know, all of us guys that used to hang out together and play on the roofs, you know, they all lived in different buildings. So on one particular day, what happened to me was um, we were playing about three rooftops down. I think uh, from where I lived on the fifth floor, I had to go over two roofs, climb down a, a short ladder and then go down to the roof where my friend Michael used to live. And we were playing on his roof. Um, I think some of the workers were up there putting new tar down, and we were annoying them by running through the tar before it dried. And, and uh, we were chased off the roof. So my friend Michael, he goes, just goes down to the down the steps to where he lives, and I decide I'm going to go back home. It's starting to get dark. So I climbed up the ladder, went over one roof, went over another roof, and a uh, big flat surface, you know, gravel, you know, the, these brick buildings. And all of a sudden, I started 
I started to hear a very strange sound. I started to hear what sounded to me a, a scraping sound. I couldn't figure out what it was. I'm looking around. Uh, there wasn't any wind. In those days, there were some television antennas up on the roof, and none of them were moving. None of them were, were scraping against anything. So, um, I, you know, the door to get downstairs in that apartment building was right in the center of that big roof. So, so I walk around the door looking for that sound, and I hear this sound that is like steel, like a knife blade dragging through the grout of brick. And it just kind of freaked me out, and it sent a, a chill down me. But I needed to find out what was causing that. And I walked around the door and I, I couldn't find it. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go. This is freaking me out. I'm going home. We lived on the fifth floor. So I went down the short flight of steps, ran across the hall, banged on the door to be let in, heard all the thousand locks unlock. And then my sister, I think, let me in. But then I listened at the door and I heard footsteps coming down those same stairs that I had just gone down. And I heard footsteps go across the hall. I was too short to look out the peephole because I wasn't tall enough. Um, so I heard these footsteps go down the steps, go down five flights of steps, and leave the building. And to this day, I don't know what that was. It's certainly, you know, I'd like to write it off as my imagination. But all I can think about is that girl Brenda who got cut open like a chicken and wondering who is on the roof doing that to children. It just freaked me out. And I'm sorry I had to <laughs> take so long telling that story. No, you're okay. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, you guys, I don't know if you have plans for a next book already, but man, I'll tell you what, I'm a short story kind of guy. I would much rather read, like, you know, I can take every one of Stephen King's books and the one that I enjoy the most would be like The Night Shift. Oh, yeah, because I love the short stories, but you guys have sounds like you have a lot of short stories, especially when you start Anthony. You start looking at some of the stuff from like Central America that most people uh, may not be aware of. I mean, you guys could probably put together a really nice collection of short stories. Yeah, well, we definitely have plans for another uh, couple of projects, believe it or not. And uh, you know, once the regular jobs and stuff, we we can get together and do these things and yeah we're probably going to have another book coming out probably more related to the devil life first but that's certainly one that we've considered a compilation of little short stories from latin america and uh also from here in the u.s i mean some of the stories that you know we obviously don't have time for it tonight but uh steve's got some real good ones about his time in sleepy hollow new york as well and so you know they're 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 all over the place yeah, they, they really are. I think we need to tell our wives we need to go down to Costa Rica first. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. You're upset about that. I got a I got a cousin that goes to Costa Rica all the time on vacation, and he's always talking about all the monkeys. So now I'm fascinated when oh, I yeah. go down there. The holler monkeys, yeah. Yep, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, it's been super fun and super informative. Tell everybody how they can get the book and where they can keep up with you on social media. Well, we're on Amazon. At, uh, our book is called Devil Eye. Paperback is seven ninety nine. But if you buy the Kindle edition, it's on special for two ninety nine. Or you can link to us on thirdhandpublishing.com and make sure that you sign up for the mailing list on the website. And I can, you guys will send me a link so I can post it on the page, correct? Absolutely. Definitely will. Definitely. Guys, thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to the next one already. Thank you so much. This was This was so fun.
Good. Glad you enjoyed it. We'll talk Thank to you, Jerry. We'll talk to you guys soon. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. So how cool is it that that book involves, you know, a, a person that's got a paranormal experience and they go to a podcaster to try to get help like we've had done to us? Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting, actually. I thought it was pretty cool. It's a cool outlook that nobody else has done. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to finish up tonight with a little uh, little short segment from uh, the boys over at Realm of the Supernatural, Lee and Andy. And uh, let's hear about the tokolosh and how it can ruin your marriage. Uh-oh. Like, I need help with that. <laughs> Hello, Hillbilly Horror Story listeners. On today's Cryptid Corner, we find out... Cryptid Corner. ...how a goblin-like creature can steal your wife. Yeah. Can she steal a wife? So today we are talking about a tokolosh. What the hell is a... A what? Tokolosh. What the hell is a tokolosh? <laughs> well, I'm glad you've asked that question because a tokolosh is a dwarf-like, hairy, goblin-esque creature. Dwarf in what size are we talking? Uh, ranges up to three feet. Not much bigger than that. So it's roughly between two and f- two to three feet, and it resides in majority of cases South Africa. Right. Okay. Okay. So. so- Obviously, to describe a tokolosh to you, then it looks like, I say, like a goblin-esque creature. But if you think... The best way to describe it, I think, is if you think of Gizmo from Gremlins. Right, okay. okay. So we can all conjure that in yep. our minds. So it's a gremlin. It's like a gremlin. But a different name. It's a gremlin. Well, it's a fairy gremlin, but with an extraordinarily long penis. Oh, right. So okay. okay. And we'll get into what he does with that later. Right, okay. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. well uh, obviously, uh, you know, where's it, where's it come from? Uh, there's a few different ideas for this one being that it's conjured up by a witch doctor in the case of um say you've got two rivals that kind of thing you can go to a witch doctor and conjure one up and you know then it'll come into my life the witch doctor makes that using a spirit of the dead so it's an ancestor a ghost if you like but the other train of thought for this is that the tokolosh comes from the union between a man and a animal that results in a tokolosh baby but but Sick. even that baby will be, and they always say that it lives in the realm between man and animal, so it's in the middle, it's in that so grey area. So it's you know, like we say for fairies, that kind of folk, yeah. uh, fairy folk, that kind of stuff. So that's essentially where it comes from. How do you know you've got one? Right. Well, ways you know you've got a tokolosh range from the mundane to the extraordinary. Uh, the mundane things are your typical poltergeist activity, what we'd say. So banging, knocking, scratching, yep. um, that kind of thing. Things being moved, objects being moved, turning up in random places. Your fridge door being left open is a good sign you've got a tokolosh. Mm. Now, we've, you know, we've, all, we've all had that, so, you know. Uh, food going missing. Again, that happens regular at my house. Uh, chocolate bars that I leave. Don't know where they go. Yogurts, gone. Uh, so it's definitely a tokolosh getting into the more extreme because I know you want to know it's, uh, so it's a gremlin the thing with a tokolosh is I said is immense penis and what he does with that he'll sneak into your house at night climb in the sheets now he don't care who's in the sheets right he's got no preference man woman don't care but he'll climb in the sheets and start having his wicked way obviously he normally chooses a lady but it's not strictly a lady there's been many cases where the tokolosh has entered the bed um, had its way with the with the man, and the next morning the man feels like he's pregnant. 
Uh, it's got a, a, like a lump in his stomach, a, a weird feeling in his stomach. Again, he'll climb in the sheets and have his way with a woman. Uh, there's a couple of issues with this. One is the the love the uh, husband, if you like, in that situation cannot see the tokolosh. So all he hears is his wife having a real good time and maybe even having like a, a wet dream kind of uh, yeah, situation. Yeah. But he can't see anything and then he, he thinks that she's got another lover and this obviously uh, can result in you know, divorce. Divorce. Uh, the, other, the other problem which leads to divorce is that extraordinary length of his penis is almost the uh, half the length of his body. Uh, so if you imagine Gizmo with a foot long penis, you're getting somewhere close. The, the problem is he, he will have his way with a woman, romance the lady, as you will, and she can never ever be satisfied by her husband after that. Oh dear. So obviously that again leads to uh, well, struggle in a marriage and, and obviously maybe, divorce. Maybe they should buy marital aids or something. You know, this, the, this might do. Well, possibly. yeah, yeah. The other thing about a tokolosh is: do you sleep with your feet outside the bed, yes, outside the covers? I do. Yeah. I, right. I, well, I sleep. Well, sorry, I sleep naked all the time. I don't sleep with anyone. So. Well, I mean, you, you're a prime target for a tokolosh then. But the uh, if you sleep with your feet outside the bed, and many people will, the tokolosh will. The, this is favourite tipple. His favourite. Uh, Tokolosh's favourite treat is human toes. So if you sleep with your feet outside the bed, Tokolosh may chew them off. So if you wake up in the morning, you're missing a couple of toes, chances are a Tokolosh has been in your bedroom. Oh, yeah. How... Fuck that. How would you get rid of it? Okay, so getting rid of a Tokolosh is easy and difficult at the same time. Right. Okay, it, result, you know, it generally ends in uh, pain. So... One of the ways you go is to the creator. So in this case, witch doctor. So you go to a witch doctor, uh, not necessarily the one that created it, but a witch doctor. And you would ask him, you'd you'd explain your situation. They would first come to your house and start uh, burning sage and other uh, herbs, essences. And that sometimes results in um, asphyxiating the the tokolosh. He can't stand the the stench and he runs out of the house, just leaves, that's it, never to return. If that doesn't work... Then what the uh, witch doctor will do is grind the herbs up into like a, like a you know like a paste, mm. smear that all over your body, and that will um, sometimes work. Yeah. But if that doesn't work, the more extreme version of that is he'll get a razor blade and cut cuts into your skin, uh, into your head, your arms, your chest, your legs, all over your body, little cuts, razor blade, and then rub that lotion in. Okay, and then. Obviously, you go to bed and the tokolosh cl- goes climbing the sheet, smells that like, and you don't want anything to do with that. And he just leaves and you'll be free of the tokolosh. So, Jerry, next time you sleep with your feet hanging out the bed, that might not be ninja licking at your toes. So that is a tokolosh. Or gremlin. In a nutshell. That's our boys, uh, Lee and Andy, from Realm of the Supernatural. If you don't listen to their show, give them a listen because they're pretty funny guys, and that's actually a really good little taste of kind of <laughs> what they do on there. I didn't understand a word of it because they have that Grimsby uh, English <laughs> accent, but I, I heard them laugh a few times, so I'm assuming it was funny. So, <laughs> now we love those guys. Check them out. Guys, we're coming to the end of another week. We greatly appreciate everything that you do for us. Don't forget, Potter and Love. Go to the website, pattern.love, 
Put in Hillbilly. Save yourself 10%. We've already had a few of you guys buy tickets, and we're flattered that you would do that. This is going to be such a fun time. Yes, I'm so I mean, excited. New Orleans, there's so much ghost stuff to do around there. We're, and then you got the Potter and Love Festival. It's going to be so much fun. I'm so looking forward to it. And now it's getting closer and closer. I'm getting antsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get out of here, thank you uh, to some good friends out there that have already bought the Being with Infants. We played the, the little oh, promo yeah. at the beginning. But we, some of you guys have already said that you've bought the Being with Infants um, thing on Amazon. Oh, cool. So cool. Like I said, I know the, the everybody we know that's already gotten it says that it's phenomenal. They wish they could have had that when they were young. I know I definitely could have used it. So mm-hmm. check it out, Being with Infants. These guys are awesome, and uh, you can help them out. They're good friends of ours, and, and we're more than happy to give them a few plugs on there. We will see you guys next week, and we're working towards that 100th episode. We got some special stuff lined up for you guys. Sounds good. I'm excited about that. All right, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Love you guys. Have a great week. Please remember, if you need to talk to somebody, if you're feeling down, please reach out to somebody. Please, and thank you. Love you. Hey, Hillbillies, if you guys enjoy what we do here on the show every week and appreciate all the hard work we put into it, consider being one of our Patreon supporters. All you got to do is go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, click on the tab for donations, and you'll see the Patreon link right there. Click on it, and you can go to our Patreon page. Then you will have a decision to make. You can choose the $1, the $3, the $5, or the $10 donation. Each one gets you different things a month. But regardless, you get some free stuff. Just check out the bonuses under each tier and you'll see what you get for free for that month. But you'll get something free regardless. Also, if you'd like to buy any Hillbilly Horror Story merch, you're also in the right place on the website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Just click on the store page and see whatever it is that you like. Click on a few links, send a little bit of money, and your item will be on its way. Thank you guys so much for all of your support. We love you. We thank you. And we appreciate you.